Support Black Podcast. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to The First Year Project, a podcast sharing the stories behind the good, bad, and integral aspects of first-year experiences. Every Monday, your host, Alexis Claytor, breaks down the lessons that we learn from those difficult moments that are truly integral to our growth and need to be shared with others. Subscribe to the newsletter for updates, playlists to get you through the week, and blog posts to hopefully help you navigate through your own first year a little easier. The First Year Project, available on firstyearproject.com, as well as on SoundCloud and every place the good podcast be. Remember, support Black Podcast. Welcome once again to another stop on the Michelle Mission. Two men, one podcast, every black film ever made. I'm your host, Vincent Williams of It's All Soul, Wednesdays 8 to 10 on G-Town Radio. And I'm joined as always. Yo, what's up? How at your boy? This is Len, a.k.a. The Bat Tribble. And on this episode, we are going to spend some time with a forgotten film. Mm-hmm. A forgotten film that maybe is not as forgotten as it was 10 years ago, but still a pretty forgotten film. 1959's Anna Lucasta, starring Eartha Kitt, Sammy Davis Jr., and a host of African-American actors from the, the, the early days of cinema, if you will. But before we get into that, as usual, it's nice to commune with our friends Yes, it is. Uh, we have a lot of feedback on Facebook, in our Facebook group, as well as on Twitter and Instagram, where you can reach us at Michelle Mission or Mission Michelle. On Instagram, we heard from Tall Girl. Hey, Tall Girl. Who um, enjoyed our most recent episode, our review of Gregory Hines and Sammy Davis Jr., in 1989's Tap. All right. She really enjoyed it. Oh, good. Uh, she goes on to say here, I listened to this episode at work yesterday and found myself grinning just listening to you two taking on one of my favorite cinematic gems. Oh, that's nice. I had the honor and privilege to have met three stars from this film. Oh, Wow. I was a dancer back in the day. Okay. And I went to uh, New York City to see some shows and take some dance classes. While there, one of the classes I took was tap from Henry Letang. When he moved out to L.A. to work on tap, I took classes with him and his wife, Ellie, who also was an amazing tapper. Okay. Gregory Hines taught a special tap workshop at Henry's studio, and it was fantastic. By the way, I totally agree that the tap break in the street number between Gregory and the other male dancers is all kinds of wonderful. See, I told you. Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. Moment, it's like, great. A few years earlier, before he became ill, I had the privilege to meet Samus Sammy Davis Jr. Oh, wow. That is real. And see his live show a couple of times. Wow. 
The tribute Heinz paid to him in the 60th anniversary TV special is beautiful. It's on YouTube for your viewing pleasure. Yes. When yes, Sammy put on his tap shoes for maybe the last time in public and danced with Gregory Hines, by the way, it wasn't a soft shoe. He may have been frail and definitely in decline, but his tapping was clean, crisp, strong, and showed that he still had a cracking sense of humor. Gregory Hines kissed Sammy Davis Jr.'s feet for all of us hoofers. Thanks for a wonderful episode. I now need to see if I can find a DVD of this movie because that VHS tape, ugh. <laughs> I know that's right. Well, thank you. Thank you for sharing those memories. Yeah, wasn't it? They were very sweet memories. Oh, yeah. Um, we also heard from Sweet It Is, a.k.a. Calvin. His name is really Calvin. Uh, thank you, thank you, thank you 100 times over. I recently discovered your pod and I loved it. Oh, excellent. Thank Tat you. was awesome. And yes, I watched the challenge scene 100 times. Yes. I've listened to other film podcasts and always scream at my phone about their lack of insight into the black perspective and general overlooking people of color in the films they reviewed keep up the great work excellent and i think you found a home then yes you have uh he also has issued a challenge oh no or oh yes <laughs> i don't know i guess it depends on what the challenge is well the challenge is a binge lounge for frank's place Oh, the old uh, TV uh, Tim Reed, yeah, series that only lasts a season. I yeah, yeah, Calvin. Well, Calvin might dig into some older binge lounges where he'll hear me admit that I never liked Frank's Place as much as I was supposed to. But maybe we can revisit it. It's worth a revisit. Yeah, absolutely. It's worth a revisit. You know, certainly. Uh, we also heard on Twitter. We heard from Ron Harvey. Hey, what's up, Ron? Who said that um, uh, he actually heard our show, okay. or heard about our show, listening to the Culture Kings podcast. Excellent. Thank you, Culture Kings. And he mentioned that uh, he enjoyed the, the Michelle Mission drop that they did for our show on their on their podcast. Uh, and he's going to start from episode zero. All right. And try to catch up. Now, that Excellent. was on August 24th. Okay. On August 26th, two days later, he said, I'm 39. <laughs> My son is 11. We were both dying laughing watching Uptown Saturday night this weekend. I'm early on the mission, but we'll catch up. I watch Fresh Carmen and Chirac this weekend. Dope on tap for this week. Oh, wow. Loving the mission. Hey, hey, man, you already won. Yeah, man. <laughs> you already won. He has. Well, thank you for joining us. And I, and I think it's kind of cool to be taking this trek with his son. Yeah. You know, yeah. as best as he can. I, I was about to say. Yeah, I, don't, a little, I don't know. Right, right. Chirac might be a little. <laughs> Excellent. Well, welcome. Welcome, welcome, Ron. Welcome, Ron. Welcome, Ron. Glad to have you. And I invite all of you, you probably have heard uh, for at least the last couple of weeks, I believe, our commercial on yes. our show for The Culture Kings. Yes. You got to check out The Culture it's Kings. A great podcast. It's a cool podcast. I was actually listening to, I believe, it maybe their most recent or at least the most recent in my feed. Mm -hmm. And I think it was, I think it was Jackie's. So it may have been Edgar. No, I think it was Edgar talking about how his mother's favorite genre of movies mm -hmm. 
are Liam Neeson taken movies. <laughs> which I wasn't aware was a genre. Right, right, right. But, um, hey, man, we specialize. You know what is becoming a genre of film? What? The unsuspecting rom-com actress as an action star. Okay, such as? Well, you have Gabrielle Union, who just did a movie about a month or so ago. Yes. I can't remember the name of it. I think it's like Breaking Out. Something about, you know, she got to rescue the kids from her house. Right. And now you have... Yeah, I saw that. Jennifer Garner. Yeah, and Peppermint. It's Peppermint. Yeah. Which... I don't know. I don't know. Hey, why not? I guess why, why not? not? Liam Neeson, um, you know, more appropriate to the show. Denzel Washington in the Equalizer films. I'm here for it. Like, I'm here for these actors finding these second acts as action heroes. I guess. Yeah. Why not? And I guess Jennifer Garner, she's trying to make up for Electra. Right. You right, know. right. So, and, and and this is actually Jennifer Garner's roots. That's right, because of because alias. Of alias. Yeah, yeah. Which is why everybody kind oh. of like was interested in her as yeah. as Alexis. Yeah. I mean Electra. And then it, you know, let her let her down. Right. Um, so you know, she's trying to get back to her roots, maybe. Why not? You know, so you know, I okay. I I, I guess. I guess. I don't know. Make that money. It's our favorite kind of actor. There you go. Oh, right, there you go. Working actor. Working. So I guess you're you're right, Vince. You're absolutely right. Um, according to all of the likes that we are getting, everybody seems very interested in joining us on Friday, October twenty sixth. Oh man, where we do our annual Halloween screening at a Malcolm Commons and Coffee House. Is it? And can we? Can I just take a minute to say how crazy that is? This is our third one. Yeah, I, I, I blinked. I know, and right? we were just there. I know. I know. Isn't that crazy? It's insane. It is insane. But it is for the third year. Yeah. The Michelle Mission will be doing a free screening at a Malcolm Commons and Coffee House on Friday, October 26th um, at 8 p.m. And this year we are screening Sugar Hill. Sugar Hill? From 1970s. Yes. It is a horror film. Yes. Um, about. Uh, 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 a chick named Su- Sugar Hill. Her name is Sugar Hill. And her zombie hitman. Zombie hitman. Now, you have not seen this. I have never seen this. Oh, movie. boy. That's 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 the stuff right there. Really? Oh, Sugar Hill is the stuff. This oh. is the Like, everything you need to know is right in the trailer. Yeah, because the trailer is insane. Yeah. The trailer is literally insane. Like- I'm actually looking forward to doing an episode about Sugar Hill before the viewing. Well, we will you. that week, right, which is what that we week do. before yeah, we're so. doing. A, we're going to do our review of Sugar Hill, and I've actually invited the ladies of the Ghouls Next Door podcast. Oh yeah, to sit in, since they do horror, right? Right, to right. Sit in with us on that one. Okay, so that'll Excellent. be cool because that way it's it's also like you know uh, spanning the generation gap, right? With right, that as well. Which right, I think Excellent. That is of course part of our annual Halloween movie month. Yes, it is. So, so you know, we'll so, let you all know the other three movies that we'll be that we have to viewing besides Sugar Hill. Yes, and there will be horror movies, not horrible movies. Well, easy. Does not true. make no promises. <laughs> Crazy. Let's take a quick walk around our Facebook group. All right, Walt Walterson. Hey, what's up, Walt? This was an interesting argument that he posed. I don't know if you saw this, Vince. 
I would argue, Walt says, mm -hmm. that the film Stargate, yeah. starring Kurt Russell and James Spader, yeah. is an accidental black-adjacent movie. Hear him out. Okay. The first half of the movie is straight-up military science fiction, but the second half deals with the following elements. Slavery. People fearful of reading and writing. Rebellion. And it's all set in Africa. The only element missing is there aren't many black actors in it, and it doesn't mention race. Yes. It's, it's an interesting argument. I've, I've been involved in more Stargate conversations than I ever planned on being involved in. Really? Yeah, well, I, I think Stargate speaks to, I, I know there, there are people who are oftentimes offended by the notion that Aliens helped build the pyramids or, mm -hmm. you know, there was some type of otherworldly aid because, you know, heaven forbid that, you know, black people built the pyramids. I know we don't like to talk about Egypt in Africa and you'll get somebody right in and talk about this dynasty or that dynasty. And then other people will pull in and talk about when Kemet was ruling Egypt. And before it's all said and done, I get really bored by the whole conversation. <laughs> Suffice it to say, I've been involved in conversation where people say this is all part of the propaganda to say that, let's say, people of color mm -hmm. couldn't build the pyramids. Oh, but, you I, know, I don't know how that all rolls into Stargate. I've never seen the movie. You've never seen Stargate? No. Uh, you know what? <laughs> I'll allow it. Thank you. <laughs> I, I, it's not bad. Stargate is one of those movies sort of like I always think about Stargate. With contact. Okay. Where like the first part of it, you know, like Walt said, the first part of it is sort of almost a military adventure. Mm -hmm. And it it seems like a realistic look at how an event like this would unfold. Okay. Like gotcha. they find this object, come to find out it's it's a gateway to this mm -hmm. other place. They kind of follow the protocols that have been in place. They call in different people. And it's really interesting. Okay. And then when they actually go through, it kind of turns into a 90s science fiction movie. Mm. But, you know, it's not bad. Did you watch this, the series? Not at all. Yeah, me neither. Not no, at all. Yeah, yeah, not at all. But, but I think that's a really... And, and I don't remember his name. And I think... He refers to himself as a he, but the actor who was in the crying game that like, oh, that played like the yeah trans role. Well, and, and like I said, I actually don't know if yeah, he was transgendered or or transsexual or just, just in uh, drag or I don't know. Yeah, that actor is in Stargate, the movie, the movie. Oh, OK, so. All right. Catrice Greer. Hey, Catrice. Answered Walt. Mm -hmm. I don't know. I feel torn about that. Okay. I love Stargate. Saw it three times. Oh, okay. For me, it is a film that is not centered in black life, black experiences, black stories from black people. Movies like this co-op parts of our history for the story true. But for me, it serves white protagonists. Okay. It highlights their Absolutely. heroism in our spaces while sometimes demonizing leaders, historical contexts as demonic or corrupt and needing to be saved or obliterated for the sake of humanity, a.k.a. an interpretation of whiteness. Okay. Markham Lee goes on to say, while black people are the first things that people think of when the word slavery comes up, rebellion and being fearful of reading and writing aren't synonymous with black people. I mean, in 2018, who was more fearful 
are for of education than white Republicans. Hello! <laughs> the Texas GOP <laughs> literally put out a statement that they want to discourage critical thinking in schools because it challenges the students' fixed beliefs. Yes! Tell it, Markham. There's a reason why I like him in the group. Um, and this is this is one. Um, is this still on Stargate? Yes. That's, or have you moved on for? Okay, keep no, going. That's on Stargate. Well, that that's all about Stargate. That's yeah. that's all about Stargate. that whole exchange. Just once again shows me that I love Michelle missionaries, and these are people that like I want to hang out with. Yes, Amen. They're like real smart. Mm-hmm. This is the exchange that I want to talk to you about, Vince, because we heard from Romero Stark. Romero Starks. Hey, what's up, Romero? Romero Stokes. Excuse me. Who asked a burning question that I am now going to pose to you, Mr. Okay. Williams. And I'm going to do it justice because the font got real big here. So I okay. feel like Romero, it's like being real emphatic. Yeah, okay. So this is me speaking Romero. Okay. When? Okay. Are you going to take this on the road? I know. Come on down I to know. Atlanta. I know. Michelle I know. Fitz says, I agree. I live in Macon and would definitely go to ATL for, for this. All right. Okay. Um, Duante Bettingfield. I just love that name. Having just come from the National Association of Black Journalists annual convention. Well, I think we know what Duante does. I think you guys should be there annually and when possible on podcasting panels and a live remote should be done from the convention every year. This year's was in Detroit. Next year is in Miami. Okay. I mean, I would love to. It'd be nice to get some sponsorships or. Yes. (laughs) They'll have us if they'll have us but yeah we we love to travel well how about how about this vince Uh uh-uh if because it it appears that we have fans yes in the georgia era and i do love atlanta i have never been to atlanta oh yeah beautiful city i would love to go to Atlanta. driving is insane but you live in philadelphia so driving there oh yeah no 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 the drive like driving driving around around. yeah yeah who knows Let's work on it. Let's work on it. Let's work. Let's on see. It. Maybe there's a convention happening that down there. Romero, you are heard. Yes, and we'll see what we can do to make it come true. Yes, because I would like it. You know, hey man, I love a road trip. I like a road trip. Yeah, I like a road trip. and I love Atlanta. So, but we can't go there before we go to Baltimore. No, I know. Because I got to. I got to go home with you. I know. I know. I know. And we were just talking before. Um, we start taping like you can already see the fall getting swallowed up. I know. Well, it's it's swallowed. I know. So, <laughs> but we hear you and we're trying. Yes. A.A. Fry, who I believe may be go under the name of Aaron Fry. Hey, said, what's up? I can't wait for the podcast. Just watched it again. And he's speaking about Anna LaCosta. Sorry, Anna LaCosta. And Sammy Davis Jr. Yes, Tommy Moore said that this movie truly shows the magic that made Eartha and Sammy the stars they are. Their scenes together are on fire. With that being told, let's get into our review. All right. Of Anna Locasta. Anna Locasta. We'll be right back with our movie review after we step to these messages.
Culture Kings is a podcast on the How Stuff Works Network, hosted by comedians Jacquees Neal and Edgar Montplacier. Every Wednesday and Friday, these two friends dive into topics ranging from sports, music, to movies, style. They wonder whether or not Donald Glover is a genius or a weirdo. They continuously decipher Kanye West's tweets and behavior. They also have recurring segments like Queen of the Week, The List, and Top Fives like Marvel Movies and Video Games. Listen to Culture Kings and subscribe on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts and find out the best way to eat a taco. Oh. What's the best way to eat a taco, Vince? With your hands? With your hands. Also, with salsa on top of everything to hold the ingredients down. It's like a layer. It's the layer. Right. So that the lettuce doesn't fall off. Can't have falling lettuce. A child of the night That's Anna A passing delight That's Anna One of the most sensationally daring plays of our time A hit all over the world Anna Lucasta comes to the screen with every shocking scene intact without the lights and the swing and the guy that can get you in the groove. And that's what I'm here for, Anna. That's what I'm going to give you. I'm through with that, Denny. I don't want it anymore. Man, get away from it. Anybody looking for it, Anna, can see it in your eyes like I did the first flash I got of you. You don't belong to one man, baby. You'll never belong to one man. You can't. In 1959's Anna LaCosta, directed by Arnold Levin, Anna LaCosta, the title character played by Eartha Kitt, has been walking the streets in San Francisco since being thrown out of her home at 19 by her alcoholic father, played by Rex Ingram. She's estranged from her family, but when her father and brother-in-law see greedy potential in an arranged marriage to affluent Rudolph, Anna is called back home. Old wounds have hardly healed, though. Just as Anna starts to feel for Rudolph, Danny, played by Sammy Davis Jr., an old friend returns to make life difficult. 1959's Anna LaCosta. This was the second go-round at this film after a 1948 um, adaptation of the play. From 1949, screenplay written by the playwright Philip Yorton. This was the choice of Lynn Webb. Lynn, what do you have to say about Eartha Kitt, Anna LaCosta, and the cavalcade 
of Negro actors and actresses in this film? The first thing that came to mind when I was watching this film, um, when it opens, and it, and it opens very, very bluntly with, um, and maybe bluntly is not the right word, but with just Eartha Kitt walking on the docks. Mm-hmm. Uh, it and it it has a, a real noir feel to it, even though I know this is not a, a a film noir film. But for something some reason, her walking on the docks, the clicking of her heels on the docks, and this this lone solitary figure on the docks, like just immediately hit me with a, a feeling of watching a noir film, right? Um, but as I watched Dawn, what I was realizing was that I was watching uh, a film that had a a definite idea, a, a definite assuredness of what it was. Mm-hmm. It was, this was going to be, in many ways, a film that was about black people living their life but it wasn't about black people suffering through life okay it was just going to be, it was just going to be a a story that had black people in it right and as i watched it and i felt more of that as i watched on watched the, the movie go on and on i was like wow I'm kind of digging this mm-hmm. because it's not anybody worrying about, you know, like, Oh, I can't get a job man on my neck, you know, or anything like that, which would, which, you know, certainly were problems of the day. Sure. In 1959. Uh, but there wasn't any of that. These, these were people that were just living their life, just getting by. Um, and that, aspect of the film I found most enjoyable and it was most profound in a lot of the scenes that take place away from the dock where you saw Eartha Eartha Kitt and they they actually take place where you when you go to her home Mm -hmm. and which has like her entire family living there her mother her father her sister her brother and their two um uh, spouses all living in this one big house and just their repartee between uh, all of them I just found like like joyful it's it certainly had the had the the rhythm of a stage play to it yet it still was open enough that you felt like they were actually living in this house and it just really spoke to me. Okay. And I just found myself like I could have sat as a fly on the wall in that house and just watched that family dynamic play out for the entire film. Um, that is Eartha Kitt's family. Right. And it is mostly her mother, sister, brother, and their, and their two spouses. But then you have... You know, this film at the end of the day is first and foremost Eartha Kitt's film 
from the opening to the close, this is an Eartha Kit vehicle. This is a movie made to let Eartha Kit's star shine. 1959, Eartha Kit in her early 30s, height of her powers. Yes. You know, um, getting her singing on, now ma- making that transition into acting. Uh, the same thing can be said for Sammy Davis Jr. as as well. A old soul at 30 years old at this time. Only old because of how long he had been in Ex- in exactly. the game. Because he had started as like a little kid. I think, yeah. like, I think he danced first on stage in his pampers. So... Um, so he's an old soul at 30 years old in this film, but still height of his powers. Maybe, maybe even like, uh, just beginning to to crest even on Mm -hmm. his, on his part. Uh, I mean, I mean, just point of reference, I mean, oceans 11 is maybe about two, three years. Right. So down the line. So there's really pre rat pack. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly. Uh, Uh, so it's definitely a, a, a vehicle, even though he is very much a supporting role in this, I feel. Um, but it definitely is a vehicle for him to shine as well. And the two of them shine mm-hmm. along with uh, Henry Scott, who I believe plays Eartha Kitt's father in this film. No, no, no. That's Rex Ingram. Oh, Rex Ingram, sorry. Dad. Oh, sorry. Yeah. Rex Ingram. Rex Ingram as her father. The, those three are the showy roles mm-hmm. in this movie. And they're powerful. They're dynamic. They're bold. They're boisterous. Um, and yet, for whatever reason, those three, those three performances would sometimes take me out of the film okay and left me a little cold okay uh especially rex ingram who i guess his character called for him to be totally over the top right um i'm not exactly sure of his motivations for some of the things that he does in this movie and we can talk about that further down the line sure um but he is but he is just so out there and loud and crazy that I'm like, yo, like, what film are you in? It's like, it's, he's, to me, he's acting for the stage, not acting for the camera, which is different type of acting. Absolutely. Eartha Kit, Eartha Kit. All right. <laughs> Eartha Kit is a presence and a half. Yes. She is. And I'm not just talking about her looks. I'm just talking about her whole demeanor mm-hmm. and everything like that. But she is such a presence that I think that overwrites everything that she says and does in this film to the degree that I don't think there's any type of any true nuance to her performance okay and because of that and only because she's asked to be the lead of this film i think that pulled me out of it i ultimately don't think it hurts the film but so much because of how strong everybody else is Mm -hmm. uh and because 
to a degree she's not asked to do but so much but I just feel like the moments where she is asked to kind of like change the, the the pitch up a little bit right she she swings and misses more often than she actually hits hits it uh Sammy Davis he kind of like modulates in between the two um realms of like a little bit too boisterous uh and right in the pocket mm-hmm. uh I felt that he was more in the pocket than not which again then helps steer Eartha Eartha Kit especially in the scenes that he has with her I think there's I think to me anyway there's a reason why their scenes pop off the screen because you have two dynamic performers right. working working against each other and I in my belief it's Sammy being the one that knows how to kind of like modulate his performance a little bit more than Eartha to make it still work where as opposed to Eartha in her Eartha Kit in the other scenes with some of the other actors, especially the one actor that plays um, R- Rudolph, I think that's his name, um, the guy that she ultimately is tries to fall right, right. fall in love with. Um, I think against that actor, like there is like zero chemistry. Yeah, and yeah. and you, I just you're like what's going on here? Yeah. I, I do not see this. I do not see what's happening at all. Yeah. Um, and like, again, that takes me out of the movie. I, I honestly quiet as kept. Mm-hmm. I wanted to see a film about her sister I, and her junkyard. I selling husband. You know what? <laughs> that was, and you didn't mention him, Frederick O'Neill. Oh yes, who plays her husband? Yes, yeah, yeah. That's that's the movie I wanted to see. They were they were spot on. Their whole their whole pattern with it, one it, another. It, it, yeah, yeah. I mean, it's an odd movie structurally, and and I think part of it. I think you you kind of gave me the last piece of the puzzle when you started. I think because as viewers. We expect certain things from black films mm-hmm. and certainly black films from this period. Yeah. The film defies those expectations. You, you, you know, I think I expected Anna to almost be a Carmen Jones type figure mm-hmm. where, you know, just this force and this power overwhelms yeah. the straights. And it doesn't go that way no, it doesn't. because she's, you, you know doing this other thing where she basically wants to be saved. Sammy Davis Jr. You know, plays this sailor that she has this relationship. And, you know, like you said, the electricity between them just comes right off the screen. It probably doesn't hurt that the two of them used to be involved four or five years before, before this film, Sammy Davis Jr. And Eartha Kitt. And there's so much passion and there's so much fire that you expect it to go bad, mm-hmm. if you will. And he just sort of overwhelms her. You think there's going to be almost this morality play with the family. But then there's 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 this comedic pattern to the family. You, you know, like you said, you talk Frederick O'Neill 
I love Sammy Davis Jr. I love um, Eartha Kitt. I could not wait for him to be on screen yeah. every time he wasn't on screen. Yeah, and and you lose him in the second half of the film. Exactly. And th- and that's to the detriment of the movie. Exactly. And I, 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 I feel like something is lost in translation in the way that the story came together. You, you, you know, Philip... Philip um, Jordan. Philip Jordan is the playwright. He writes this play originally... Uh, for I think it's a Polish American working class family. Right. Nobody picks it up, and, and it was written in 1936. Written you... in 1936. Nobody white wants to put on the performance because Anna is playing a prostitute, and the American Negro Theater Company picks it up. The mm-hmm. American Negro Theater Company, uh, formed by Frederick O'Neill, by the way, he was one of the founders. They put on the play. It becomes a hit. A movie is made with a white cast. Starring Paula Goodert. Starring Paula Goodert. That is sort of so-so. Mm-hmm. And then they make this with the black cast. Right. But there is this weird sort of sense of you don't quite know what you're rooting for. Yeah. You, you know, because, you know, Sammy Davis Jr., like you said, it's it's the power and, and, you know, like I said, it's this passion, and it seems like they're setting up this doomed love mm-hmm. between them. But by the time the film goes off, he's a good dude. Yeah. Like, he's a good dude. And as you said, in contrast to her with this good man who has come up from the South and fallen in love with her, Eartha Kitt overwhelms and devours him every scene they're in because she's Eartha Kitt. Mm-hmm. And... I don't know if I agree with you that Eartha Kitt's performance is is very stylized. Yeah. Like like she's very much Eartha Kitt. And I don't know how much the film captures what makes Eartha Kitt Eartha Kitt. I think there are two really good scenes. I love there's a scene at the very beginning when she's actually in the pool hall. Mm-hmm. And she leans over the pool table and, you know, a pimp is trying to recruit her, basically. And there's this wonderful back and forth between them where yeah. she handles him. Yes. Perfectly. And you can see that 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 sensuality. You can see that strength mm-hmm. that Eartha Kid has. And then there's a scene where, where they're trying to keep her from Rudolph. And she walks in and she's very understated. But you completely understand why this man who has never seen her before is immediately head over heels in love with her. But besides those two scenes, it 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 is like the pieces never quite fit. No, they don't. And I think I like the movie. But unfortunately, it made me think of other movies from this period that I liked better. Okay. And I don't know what to do with that. Like, I don't know. Like, well, there's like, no problems. There's nothing wrong with right, like right, right. You know, it's not necessarily fair to this movie. And, and you know, I do wonder, you know, I talked a little bit last week, Sammy Davis's filmography. Sammy Davis had a, a, a longer film career than Eartha Kitt did. Eartha Kitt had a falling out. With, um, got blacklisted. Got blacklisted. So she didn't, but... So we didn't have as many examples of her on film, but I suspect she would have had the same problem 
as Sammy Davis Jr., mm-hmm. where you have this talent that can't really be contained in this racist film system. So that, you know, nine times out of ten, Sammy Davis Jr. can't be a leading man. He can't have any air of menace. Mm -hmm. I mean, even in this film where it feels like there might be something there, ultimately they pull up. Yeah. And he's Sammy Davis Jr. And, you know, they have this dance sequence, which I actually like that sequence. It comes out of nowhere, though. But you get the sense that, that, again, they're building up this relationship between Danny and Anna and they're, they're both filled with passion and, and it's all fire and, and they're just going to burn each other out. Mm -hmm. But then the film pulls up before it fulfills that promise where, you know, maybe there's going to be violence. Maybe there's going to like, you just get the sense that there's something there. See, that's why that dance sequence doesn't work for me because I felt like, in that scene where that is is happening, there are a lot of like uh, it, it's basically a whirlpool of action. Them going from party to party, drinking, smoking, dancing right, all right. over the place, right? And as the, all of those that more or less montage of happenings is occurring, the music and the the pacing and the and the editing is ramping up. Right, and it's ramping up to uh, an explosion of violence, like you said. For that dance sequence that comes in at that moment, to me, that's what pops the balloon mm-hmm. and like lets all of the air out. Like I would have preferred to see that dance sequence maybe in the beginning when Sammy Davis Jr.'s character first comes into the the pool hall slash bar right you know as a as a way of showing why she's attracted to him oh right right to me it makes more sense there mind you i don't think it makes any sense in the movie at all but if you're gonna put it any place put it there to put it where they did or to put it where they did just totally lets the pin out of everything that's building the crescendo there and then the cutting of it, it because you see in Sammy Davis Jr. To, just to, to describe it to the listener it, you know you're in a movie you're watching them at different parties and everything like that and ramping up and they're, they're drinking like crazy getting drunk and wild and crazy and then all of a sudden it cuts to Sammy Davis more or less on a sound stage yes dancing a solo number yeah. Like not with anybody there. And what makes it even more strange is that it would then keep cutting back to Eartha Kitt looking at him. Right. Like as if she's still in the bar or wherever they were, looking at him on a soundstage doing this. You you're just waiting for at least me, I'm waiting for Eartha Kitt to get in there right. and all of a sudden join in the dancing. Then it at least makes some type of sense. For it to, for her to just be looking, st- sitting there, looking like she's seeing a ghost when technically she shouldn't even be seeing that, or I don't know. It just really that took me. See, left. I read that almost in an impressionistic sense, like 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 she's looking at it through the haze of the alcohol. She's looking at it through the haze of you, you know she's run off 
from mm-hmm. her husband. Mm-hmm. So, you know, she's filled with this self-loathing. Mm-hmm. She's almost numbing herself with alcohol. The implication is sex and just this living so that when she sees this, to me, that wasn't a literal representation of what was happening. This no, was all from which again, but none of that, what you just said reads on her face. Well, it doesn't read on her face. And again, there's no actual payoff. And that too. Like yeah. if you're building to this point where you're saying, and they almost go there where, where they're, they're going to steal money and they're going to go to Brazil and they're never going to come back. And, and you almost feel it heading that way. Mm-hmm. Or some big showdown. Or some big showdown. And then it, it really becomes almost a 1920s melodrama. Yeah. Where, you know, her father blesses her. And, and I mean, and even that, like the whole, the whole reason that she's sent away where, where he says that he saw her kissing another man and his whole actions throughout the film, I have to say, I'm looking at it through modern eyes and I kept waiting for, I mean, was, I kept waiting for something like he had been inappropriate with her and he was trying to cover it up or, or she actually was having sex or I was waiting for, and then there was, there was nothing like, like you saw her kissing a guy for him to get as crazy as he was. Yeah. I would wanted to, wanted it to be, okay. Is there something in his background? Like, is she the preacher's daughter? Right. You know what I mean? Something, but, but he, but she's not. Or since, you know, the implication is that she more or less is a prostitute. They never say it. Right. In San Diego. Right. But um, if the implication that is that she is a prostitute, is it that he found out that she was prostituting here before he sent her away? Before he sent her right. away. But you you don't like you say it, it 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 definitively is kissing. And while they don't say prostituting like on the nose in this movie, they certainly insinuate it when they need to. Yeah. So that when he says he saw somebody her kissing somebody. Y'all would have insinuated it if it was more. Right. And they didn't. Right. You know, but, but as crazy as that is, and for whatever reason, he sent her away and she went away and lived her life and whatever. Right. She comes back. I don't know how she falls in love with this, this Rudolph guy who maybe that he may be like the most boring black man romantic uh, lead ever seen on film until you get to uh, what's his name in the Holly Berry, Tommy Davis movie. (laughs) Yes. You know what? I gave it a pass. And again, goes back to you you expect this to, to, to be this, this almost traditional story. Like from his end, I understand his being completely blown away by Eartha Kitt. Because it's Eartha Kitt in 1959, and I do really like the scene where they meet each other. And you can see him just being drawn to her. That's Henry Scott. Who Henry plays Scott. Up. Rudolph Slocum. Right. From her end, I never got the sense that she fell in love with him. You never see the flip. So much that she fell in love with the fact that this man basically said that you are worthy 
of being a wife. Right. Like like we've we've got her father, we've got her family, we've got, you know, even at the beginning, even though I think it's very clear that Danny loves her, they do have this exchange. And, you know, sidebar, I kind of like the script. Like, there are some great lines in here. There's some. Where, where, where Danny says, you know, I want us to get together. It'll be like being married. And she says, well, how much like being married? And he doesn't actually propose to her. Mm-hmm. So I got the feeling that Anna just just liked the fact that she was chosen in a quote unquote respectable manner. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, not for nothing. He's a lighter skinned, straight haired dude, 1959 who had graduated from college. So he's quite the catch with $4,000 with $4,000, which I believe um, if, if you adjust that for inflation, that's approximately $1 billion in Negro money in, in 1959. 1959. So I actually gave that part a pass. But again, for that to actually work, for us to actually be happy that they are together at the end, her relationship with Danny has to be self-destructive. Right. And there's no real sense that this couldn't have worked. In fact, by the time the movie ended and Danny really shows this great warmth, Mm -hmm. I actually wanted her to be with him. Which yeah. I don't think that's what the movie wanted me to want. No, exactly. Because there is, even before then, there's a really cool scene where they more or less have a blow up as, you know, two people passionate about each other are want to do. Right. And basically, you know, quote unquote, tell each other off. Mm hmm quote-unquote, go their separate ways, mm-hmm. only for him to come walking back in and basically, without really announcing it, you know, they more or less have broken up. But then he comes back in and more or less says, well, you know, if I work, you know, three straight days, 24 hours, I can afford this. Uh, it's, it's these tickets to Brazil, It's baby. a very sweet scene. That's a very sweet scene. And it's a sweeter scene than, as you, as you say... Then she shares with the other guy anything throughout the film. Yeah, anything throughout the film. But that being said, what I was leading up to is that regardless of what we may think of Rudolph Slocum, that's who she's hitched her wagon to. Yes. And he's happy for it. Yes. Family is happy for it. Everybody's happy. Except the father. (sighs) This is the motivation that left me and uh, my lady, Tawana, extremely bewildered. Yes. Because Rudolph finds out that he's, you know, he, he's graduated. Mm-hmm. And he's got a job. Yes, he does. A great job. A great he's job. lined up a job waiting for him that's still going to be in the area. So he'll be near his family. Yes. She'll be near his fa- uh, her family. He'll be relatively close to his family. They'll be together. It's, 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 it's love. It's perfect. It's perfect. And now, you know... uh and I'll be able, able to give you the life that I feel you deserve. Right. And regardless of whether or not you buying into her buying in on this, you're told she's buying in on it. Great. Goes to tell the family. Great. Yes. Fantastic. Dad, however, on, I think if I remember, was this on the day of the wedding? Yes. The day of the wedding gets upset about this. It is the most insane 
thing. Is upset about this to the point that he is now going to sabotage this man's life by telling his employer that do you know you're hiring somebody who is married to a woman who once was a prostitute that I drove her into because I saw her kiss a boy when she was 16. I don't think he went that Probably far down. That. This, yeah. Probably didn't tell that part. Yeah. No, he didn't it, turn that page. It is again. I kept think. I kept waiting for the big bombshell. Mm-hmm. Like you said, she's another man's daughter. If this film was made after 1980, I got some really weird energy between the two of them. Where I thought, you know, maybe he had molested her and was trying to cover it up. But there's nothing ever there and it doesn't help you know like like you, you said earlier and I lost it Rex Ingram's performance I thought it was all over the place yeah and and you know it's funny looking him up he was a contemporary of Paul Robeson oh wow so yeah you know big strapping you oh, know, yeah voice. like you can see it yeah or you can see remnants of it you can because this is 1959 mm-hmm. and they were contemporaries until 1948 mm. when Rex Ingram pled guilty to transporting a 15 year old white girl across straight lines for quote unquote immoral reasons. Oh, and everything obviously falls apart in his life Yeah, so that he kind of gets bits and piece, you know, roles here and there until you get 1959 and a lot of critics, and I'm going specifically off of like Donald Bogle, say that I don't know how much acting he's doing. Okay. Like he's actually unraveling. Right. So, but unlike Sammy Davis Jr., who just has this this huge talent, or Eartha Kitt, who has this huge talent, and both of them have this huge presence, he's just all over the place. Yeah. And and ultimately, if if there was anything that I thought took away from my film experience, it was his performance. Mm-hmm. I liked all of the actors, though. I liked all that. You know, we talked about um, Frederick O'Neill, who yeah. was fantastic as Frank, right? Rosetta Lenore, who played his wife. There, there you go, the, the wife Stella. Yes, I, exactly. I could. They needed like their own sitcom. Well. She did get a sitcom eventually. Okay, because she did look familiar. What she was... played Mother Winslow on Family Matters. Are you kidding me? That is Mother Winslow. And I was looking at her. That's and right. I was specifically looking around the eyes. Yep. And I was like, wow, she's got some striking eyes. Like, And, and, she, and her timing was just so it, on point. Oh, oh, you, oh, they're already well-seasoned stage actors yeah i mean i think uh well i know frederick o'neill played the role of frank in the play okay she may have played this role in, so these are roles that they, they, they are, are very they familiar in, with and like you said like this is it right here mm-hmm. uh alvin uh childress who played the bartender well i've seen him a you, bunch of times well you know his big deal he's amos he played amos of amos and andy in the TV show. In the, t- in the television show. Oh, really? Okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Isabel um, Cooley. Cooley, who plays Anna's sister-in-law. 
Katie. Katie uh, had roles throughout throughout her life. I saw something. She was in a movie called I Passed for White in 1960, which I made a little note of. I said, ooh, we should probably do this. But you know why that's funny, though? Why? Because the whole time I'm watching this movie and seeing her, I'm saying, she looks like a black Lois Lane. She looks like a black Lois... She does, and specifically, she looks like the lowest lane at that time. What's what's? Oh, come on, Lynn. Oh, what's with Vince Vaughn? Why can't you leave it at Lois Lane? Oh, be- because <laughs> because oh, she, her her name is right on the tip of my tongue. Because you're thinking about from the from the from TV the, show, yeah, right? Right, the George Reeves show. Right, it's Noel Neal or Phyllis Coates. They both played her. I'm thinking of Noel Neal, I think. Yeah. And, and Noel Neal is definitely the most And you're right. One. She does look like her. She does. The whole time I'm watching her, yeah. I'm like, is she white? Yeah. Is this No, 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 no. The funny thing is she doesn't even play the, the lead character in I Passed for White. <laughs> she plays the She Negro. plays a black. She plays the black <laughs> maid. <laughs> because, you know, every single solitary one of those stories that I Passed for White the G is soft like in lasagna. It says to white people. <laughs> like no one ever passes for white with black people. Come on, sis. What you trying to do? Oh, Stop. <laughs> but um, yeah, I really like the cast. And, and like you said, I, c- I could have watched the whole movie of that family. Yeah, man. So that was it, it, that was my favorite part of the movie. That was my favorite part of the movie. I was waiting for Eartha Kitt to say Marcus. I'm sorry. But, uh, <laughs> the, the whole time. Like, there, there's something about Eartha Kitt, even when she's trying to downplay things. I know. Like, I know. Everything she says just sounds like a double entendre. I, I know. <laughs> I'm sorry. She says, hello, mom. I'm like, ooh. Well, like I said, when she comes in and meets Rudolph, and she's just wearing just a regular, just a dress. Yeah. And she's not being sexual. Mm. She's not, but... But she just, I mean, just watching her move from one side of the screen to the other side of the screen. She sits on the sofa. She gets up from the sofa. And the actor playing Rudolph, I think, really captures it. Like, he, he, he's, he's flabbergasted. Like, he's never seen a woman like this. Well, he grew up on the farm. Well, you know, and then he went to college. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Yeah, she yeah she's she's fantastic. Yeah, she 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 is good. I I, I like I say uh, like I said in the beginning, I am left a little bit from this film, you know, uh, not feeling any less about Eartha Kitt the performer, right? But maybe not quite as enamored with Eartha Kitt the actress. I think I would need to see her sure. in something else. I, I, yeah, because by the time, because you know, like like a lot of people our age, my introduction to Eartha Kitt was on the Batman TV series, and in there right. she's, I mean, she's just having a, a, a great time. It's, right. The second I realized, like, oh, it's a different Catwoman. Oh, okay. Right. You know, right. I, right. I, right. Into, she certainly sounded have, having more fun rolling her R's. Yes. So um, yes. I was cool with it. Uh, and then you, you know, you fast forward. Like, don't get me wrong, Eartha Kitt really can do no wrong if for no other reason because of Catwoman. Yes. Boomerang. Yes. And more than even that, the Emperor's New Groove. Yeah. Because I <laughs> yeah. love her in right, the Emperor's right. New Groove. I can listen listen to her ease my all the time. But um yeah, I, I was I I'd 
would be interested in seeing more of her her uh, acting. Well, as little as it is, I was about to say, but again, we don't have as much yeah. of it as we should. Yeah. I don't remember. Do you remember the exact story of why she I got black? I thought it had to do with Eisenhower's wife. I thought she got into it with with the president's wife. Mm, let's see. Here's the thing. It happened in '68. So this is even a, this is like way after that. In, in January 1968, during Lyndon Johnson's administration, Eartha Kitt encountered a substantial professional setback after she made anti-war sentiments during a White House luncheon. She was asked by Lady Bird Johnson about the Vietnam War. She replied, you send the best of this country off to be shot and maimed. No wonder the kids rebel and take pot. During a question and answer session, Kitt stated, the children of America are not rebelling for no reason. They are not hippies for no reason at all. We don't have what we have on Sunset Boulevard for no reason. They are rebelling against something. There are so many things burning the people of this country, particularly mothers. They feel they are going to raise sons. I know what it's like. And you have children of your own, Mrs. Johnson. We raise children and send them to war. Her remarks caused Mrs. Johnson to burst into tears. I was about to say she made her cry. And led to a derailment in Kit's career. Following the incident, she found herself unemployable, so she devoted her energies to performances in Europe and Asia. It is said that Kit's career in the United States was ended following her comments about the Vietnam War, after which she was branded a sadistic nymphomaniac <laughs> by the CIA. Yes. And her government-led blacklisting was enshrined in a false and defamatory CIA dossier about Kit discovered by Seymour Hersh in 1975, where he published an article about the dossier in the New York Times. The dossier contained comments about Kit's sex life and family history, along with negative opinions of her that were held by former colleagues. Kit's response to the dossier was to say, I don't understand what this is about. I think it's disgusting. But the crazy thing is, that's 1968. Yeah. I mean, so that's not the 50s. So she was... I think they just didn't know what to do with her. Like, I'm looking at her. It's not a whole lot of filmography. No. No, it's not. You know, she shows up here and there, but there's not a lot there. To her to her credit, though, I mean, she was still doing some singing, and she was acting on the stage. Oh, sure. Sure, so. absolutely. But... One of the great crimes of Hollywood. Let's just say that. Yeah, let's just one of the great crimes of Hollywood. So, the question, of course, is, is: Would you recommend this film? I do think I would recommend the film, though. Okay, I think the film, as uneven as it is, as I feel it to be, uh, like I said, it is still very pleasant and pleasing to watch a movie about black people just doing stuff mm -hmm. and the movie is not about their race right at all right so i think i think it's interesting in that hey you know eartha kid say what you will she still is something to behold on the screen uh sammy davis jr again just you know just showing why he is like you know one of the most incomparable talents of all time yeah and you know if you only watch if you only watch this film to watch like that early scene that is in the house with this family yeah it's just 
spot on. Like you said, to see some early Mother Winslow. Yeah. Now that I know who it is, I've got to watch this film all over again <laughs> and really, truly appreciate like the little bits, the, the, just the little subtleties they give her, like with the, eating the candy and the whole thing. <laughs> uh, it really is just some really, really great stuff. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I would, I would definitely recommend it. Me too. Me too. I think I wrote. Uh, there's another case of you know, eat the meat and leave the bone. Yeah, you know, exactly. it's, it's not a perfect film. It is not. I don't think it's necessarily an overlooked classic. Right. It's not an overlooked classic. It's not a classic. But there is so much good, you know, just to pair it with you said, Sammy Davis Jr. footage, Sammy Davis at a speed he's not often allowed to be in. Mm-hmm. Eartha Kitt in a role that she certainly never had before. Mm-hmm. And I don't believe she had after the supporting cast is great. Uh, you, you know, like I said, I actually like the script. I th- like I thought, you said, there's some good stuff. Yeah, in there's the script. some good lines. Yeah. And you know, there are things that actually made me laugh out loud. You, you know, there's one line where of course, Frederick O'Neill as Frank, when, when he's, when they find out that they, that, that the father's friend has written them and he has this whole screed about, you know, black people who have moved from the South and then people who are still in the South think that they're rich mm-hmm. and wants things. And he says, well, if he wants our old clothes, he's out of luck. We're, we're, still, we're, we're, we're still wearing them. <laughs> and that made me laugh. And there was, so I absolutely think you should watch this film. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Check it out. Check out Anna LaCosta. It is streaming on a streaming service near you. Right now, ladies and gentlemen, uh, check it out. You need to do that. Um, Before we reveal what will be Vince's selection for our next stop on the Michaud mission, ladies and gentlemen, I invite each and every one of you to like and follow us at Michaud Mission on Facebook, Twitter, as well as on Instagram. And to write us, if if you will, at Mission at gmail.com. Any of your thoughts or questions or anything that you, that's popping in your mind, join the Facebook group, Michelle Mission, where, as you can tell, our over 300 members are having a great time, and we like to get in there and have fun with them as well, as time will allow. Um, and if you really want to help us, go support Black Podcasts, like the Culture Kings. Um, but if... Also, if you really want to help us, and you are a iTunes subscriber, go in there, leave us a rating and even more uh, a review because that helps people find our show and the Michelle Mission, which is available as a radio program on Saturdays at 1 p.m. on WPPM. 106.5 FM Philly Cam People Powered Media here in the city of Brotherly Love, Philadelphia, as well as Monday mornings at 9 a.m. on WKDU 91.7 FM in Philadelphia, the voice of Drexel University. And the show is also available on MichelleMission.com, as well as any place and every place that you find podcasts, including the Podglomerate Podcast Network. Vince, what are we watching next week? There is a young filmmaker, Terrence Nance, Ooh. who has a show on HBO now, um, Random that, Acts of Flyness. Which I am uh, I'm, I'm, I, I'm enjoying. This. I actually have not watched an episode yet because I knew that this 
episode was forthcoming and I want to be fresh with him. His debut film, an oversimplification of her beauty from 2012. Actually, we have talked about, and I think it kind of slipped away. Mm -hmm. So I want to watch that. So next week, Terrence Nance's directorial debut, 2012's an oversimplification of her beauty. I remember when the trailer came out for that movie. Yeah. And I fell in love with the trailer. Yeah. Did it play in Philly or did it play here long? I believe it did play, but not long. Because I do remember saying I wanted to, like, I actually remember saying I want to see this. I think it was very... It, and then it was a short run and then it was gone. It was in and out of theaters real quick. So, well, I tell you what, we about to see it this week. All right. I'm looking right. forward to that. Yeah, so am I. Most definitely. All right, ladies and gentlemen, we are going to get out of here. That's about it. That guy, that's Vince, and I'm Len. You know what we say at the end of the show? We'll see you when it's time to meet again. It's time to bid adieu. It's been a pleasure knowing you. I'll see you when it's time to meet again. <laughs>